well, hello and welcome to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. It's Paul Joy here and I'm delighted to share with you a podcast that has been created to enhance, connect and inspire the Yarra Valley Grammar community and beyond. So wherever you're listening from today, I want to say thank you for tuning in. Before we go too much further, an acknowledgement. I would just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we meet and you are all listening from today. I acknowledge the ancestors and the path that they have walked and all elders past, present and emerging. I'm thankful for today's guest for sharing that acknowledgement. A Yog, a Yarra Old Grammarian. In fact, Tiana Cora from the class of 2014 who has Aboriginal heritage and she speaks very proudly of that in the conversation that I'm going to share with you today. I enjoyed some of her recollections of family time and upbringing. Some of the things that are important to her now are because they've been instilled in her from a very young girl. Love her interest in film and philosophy and spirituality and now endeavouring to make a difference. We explore all of these things and more in this conversation. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Tiana Cora from the class of 2014. And I'm going to begin this conversation by asking her at what year level, when did she begin her time, her journey at Yarra Valley Grammar? So I started at year seven, which was 2009. Excellent. And what was it like coming in first up? Did you know people? Had you come from a, an, a large primary school? Were there five of you or 20 of you coming in that same group? Yeah. So I actually came by myself, which was really daunting. Um, and even though I only went to school in Heathmont, which is a suburb over, I was the only student. Um, and thankfully, my sister was in the year above me, so I knew some of her friends. But it was a really interesting experience to come in and meet a whole range of different people and personalities um, so young. And also I just remember it was really, really important um, and a defining moment because when I started uh, the Black uh, Black Saturday bushfires just happened a few weeks previously. So there was a lot of tension, confusion. It was a really um, interesting, interesting time, but it was a great time to start. Yeah, and, and certainly there's... We all have certain memories of where we were, how that experience of certainly of, of Black Saturday and, and that, not that it was a one-off moment, it was a series of, you know, days and days and weeks of um, initially tragic and then the recovery and then, you know, it was a challenging time. And for all of that to be happening in your life around year seven as well, which in itself is a, a significant transition, that's a lot to be coping with as a, what, you'd be 10 or 11 years old at the time. Um are there moments in that first year that stand out in terms of maybe it was a camp, maybe it was an assembly, maybe it was the first time you went into your maths class? Was there anything that kind of, for either positive or not, that stands out to you? Yeah, year seven I remember a lot. I was really thankful and grateful to have a really amazing group of friends. Um, but I think just just the little things really stood out, like having a locker and having to remember a combination and not being able to rock up in PE uniform and having very strict sort of you, um, strict sort of guidelines on what we can and can't do. It was really, really different from primary school. But for some reason, the memory that I remember most about year seven was Renaissance Day. 
um, where we all got together and learnt about that sort of period and era and that was really, really interesting and something that we've never done before. Um, but I do remember that with Year 7 camp, we didn't get to go to the Yarra camp because it was affected around that bushfire area, so we had to go to um, another school sort of campsite. Yeah. Yeah, right. And the friendships that you made early in, in Year 7 where you're kind of mixing with all these different people, did any of those, can you recall stand the test of time like or did it change for you along the way did you move into different groups I was really grateful that our year level in my eyes at least was really um, inclusive so everyone knew everyone and everyone could say hi to everyone um, but no I'm still very close and and good friends with the group that I had from year seven and from then it obviously grew and grew and grew but you still had those little niche groups within the bigger group and where did you hang? Like, were you, if we were looking for you, were we out on the sports fields? Would we find you in the library, in the music room? Were you in the queue of the, the tuck shop? Where, where did you kind of hang? So year seven, the school's changed so much, which is really great, but I'm pretty sure the places where we used to hang out don't exist anymore. So we used to, in year seven, we hung out on the side, sort of near the junior school. So where the down ball courts are, were next to the year seven building, just over there, there was a building there. Um, and then year eight, there was a big sort of hockey field pitch to the right of the year seven building near the basketball courts, but I'm not sure if that's there either. And then so on and so forth. Um, and then year 12, definitely the common space. It was just a beautiful, beautiful space. Yes. And the people that you would hang with, you know, your friends, do you have, an, a, a, I guess, a perspective on the influence that they had on you in terms of whether it be music or interests or maybe even behaviours that you kind of got involved with. and, and Because the, the, I think the people that you hang with have a big impact on yes. the types of things that you like doing and the stuff you talk about and so forth. Do you remember uh, any impact that they might have had on you and your thinking? Of course. So my friends um, and I, I'd like to think that we were all relatively innocent. Um, you know, like we played, you know, video games and things like that. Um, but I was really grateful to have a lot of friends who had um, religious backgrounds, such as Christian backgrounds and um, really family-oriented backgrounds, and that really um, resonated with myself and my upbringing. So I was really grateful to find, um, you know, solidarity with, with people like myself. Yeah, that's that's great. And, and in a school the size of Yarra, you're likely to find somebody that you resonate with, aren't you, in terms of there's so many different yeah. people. Tell me a little bit more about your family in terms of, you know, you've just said family's important, family was significant and, and some solidarity around family. You know, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and perhaps in line with that, how did you travel from where you grew up or your home to school? What was that experience like? Cool. So I am really, really grateful that I am close with my family. I've actually just moved in after many years away, moved back, which is a big change. Um, but, you know, I'm very grateful to have grown up in a household where my parents uh, were together. They're not anymore, which is fine. But, you know, in a strong household, I'm grateful that I have both sets of my grandparents on either side and I'm really close with my cousins. But I lived in the same house that I grew up in. Like I was born and raised in Heathmont um, or Ringwood East rather and it was only, you know, I went to the primary school, which was a five minute walk. And then Yarra was like a five, 10 minute drive. So, you know, Ringwood and the east side is really, really my home. And it's, it's beautiful to be um, on my traditional country, which is Wurundjeri country, but just to be surrounded by trees and everything like that. So 
um, you know, the east side's really good. It's good to be here. So tell me a little bit more about Wurundjeri country and what do you mean by that? And tell us tell us some significant places within your kind of sphere that, that are significant to you and why? Of course. Um, so Wurundjeri country is the traditional owner's uh, and the traditional lands on which Melbourne uh, and particularly the East sits. Um, and that is one of the nations make that make up the Kulin Nation, which is a wider range of groups there. Um, but Melbourne and Victoria and Australia have hundreds and hundreds of different language group, clan groups, nations and mobs. Um, but, you know, Ringwood is lucky enough to be on Wurundjeri country. Um, and that that travels from Melton to uh, Craigieburn Way, all the way to Melbourne, all the way out to Warburton. So it's very, very vast and has a lot of places of um, cultural significance, which is really amazing. If anyone wants to go and explore that, I highly recommend doing so. So you've spoken there some some Indigenous words, some Aboriginal words and things. I mean, I love the notion of, of mob, who's your mob and, and the people. So you've got Aboriginal heritage, Aboriginal background. Tell me how far back to um, to that experience have you explored? I do. So um, I'm really grateful to have um, my mother and my grandmother who are really, really strong in their culture. And that being said, I obviously do acknowledge my German and Irish and Scottish ancestry also. Um, however, I do really resonate with my Aboriginal culture and heritage. And so we have lineage that goes all the way back to colonisation and and which is really, really exciting because there are a lot of members who don't have that, such as the stolen generation. Um, but thankfully, I, I am able to connect the dots for myself. Um, and so my grandmother, Aunty Zita Thompson, is um, a Wurundjeri elder who is really heavily involved in the justice system and really heavily involved in um, things like that. And even with myself, I work in a similar sort of sector in treaty uh, the treaty process at the moment. So I work very heavily with state government and uh, communities all around the state as well, if that answers wow, the question. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. That's that's fascinating. So for you learning about your your heritage, your, your family lineage, is that just because it's stuff that you talk about around the dinner table and it becomes part of your culture because that's how you're brought up? Or did you have to go digging or investigating or asking questions? So I, I didn't. It was very much forced on, which is I'm, I'm very grateful for it now. Um, you know, culture for every single person is their own personal journey and no one's to judge anybody else in regards to that, um, no matter what culture from wherever you come from. Um, but no, I'm very grateful to have family who have documented everything along the way so I can just pull it out um, really easily, which is really beautiful. And that's both Wurundjeri, my heritage there, and Yorta Yorta, which is up around Shepparton area and Barma and Echuca, and then even our connections through Tunnerong and Wurundjeri and just there are a few other mobs, just to name a few. But it's really interesting how it all sort of intertwines along. And... I appreciate that you're um, grateful and thankful for your heritage now as a, you know, what, what are you, you're six years out of school. Almost 24. When you, <laughs> when you were, say, a, a young person, maybe 15, 16-year-old, was it something that you were aware of then and did it impact your 
thinking or your interaction, the activities that you got involved with, either at school or at home? Like, did you go home and do different things to what your friends did? Or was it a very, um, I'm not quite sure what the right terminology is, but um, a a westernised living and learning environment? Or was it more in line with your heritage? Yeah. So I think um, everyone's in line with their heritage to some degree. Um, However, you know, I'm really, as I said, I'm grateful that I have my family because they instilled it wherever we went. So when I went to kinder, for example, my uncle came and taught men, men business, like all the kids, at least the boys, men's business, like didgeridoo playing. And then the women um, were taught women's business. And then through primary school, my nan came because she's also an artist and she helped do things like that for multicultural day. But if I didn't have my uncle and my mum and my nan, that wouldn't have happened. And then when I went to Yarra, I, not that I lost anything, any culture or anything like that, but it wasn't necessarily a big part of my youth and that's at no fault of anybody's um but growing up in the east of Melbourne there aren't as many um Aboriginal cooperatives there's a few which are really really amazing and I actually sit on the board of one um but not compared to the north side or other areas of Melbourne and so I didn't really connect as much. And because of my complexion, you know, I did have a few racist comments like, oh, you're only here because you're on an Aboriginal scholarship, but oh, you're not even really black and and things like that. And at the time I was like, yeah, like I kind of understand what you mean. But now that I'm a lot older and I've grown up and I'm like, hang on a sec, that's actually racist. And that's like at the time, obviously a lot of children won't know that, but, you know, it just comes from the naivety and comes from, that sort of systemic and intergenerational learning. And so a lot of these young people don't know that what they're saying is wrong, but actually it can be really hurtful and and can instill things in people for years to come. And so when I went to university, I was really grateful to see, oh my gosh, there's actually, you know, Aboriginal people that are as light as me and that may not know their culture or may not you know, resonate as much. And so I went, I was heavily involved in Nagara Willem. So when I went to university at RMIT, um, there's an Aboriginal unit there where mob can come um, and just find refuge and find a safe space and connect. And so, you know, I built a lot of trust and a lot of friendships through that. Right. And and so your learning obviously continues to grow and evolve as you I guess as your interest continues to be peaked and you learn more and you you associate and and now by the sounds of it your your work also uh, is in some sense as an advocate for your mob and your people and tell us a little bit more about that work and what that looks like and can you tell us what what's your title what's your role of course so I'm currently a project and engagement officer and so I've been doing that in my past few um, workplaces as well. And so that basically just means that I advocate, I do a lot of project work and that's where my heart lies and that's where I really enjoy and what I say where my skill set lies as well. Um, But yes, engaging with community, consulting with community and things like that all around the state. So that's what I, I do. So if you're doing really well in your role and you do really well for the next three years, what do you hope to 
have achieved? Like, what does does society look different? Do, are there different conversations being have had if you and your colleagues get it, you know, just the way you want it? So at the moment, Rev, we're in a really, really important and uh, exciting time um, because the state government have um, committed um, to discovering what treaties look like. And so I previously worked at the Victorian Treaty Advancement Commission and they were funded by the uh, Department of Premier and Cabinet, which is a state government. Their job was to establish a representative body of Victorian Aboriginal traditional owners to negotiate a few different things with the state government. And this isn't necessarily treaties, but it is what it could look like. So I now work for that representative body and the three things that the members who I support, their job is to set out. They are to find and to develop a self-determination fund, a treaty authority and a treaty negotiation framework. So eventually the end goal is treaties, treaties for mobs, treaties with the state government. This is what we're hoping to achieve. And I may never see treaties, you may never see treaties, but it's for our children and our children's children and their children's children. And in saying that as well, for our ancestors who never got to see the day. So just the the word treaty, can you define that for me? Is it, is it an agreement? Is it a, a shared understanding? Is it a, a peace offering? What, what do you mean by treaty? So <laughs> treaty is hard because it's can mean so many different things to so many different people but you kind of hit the nail on the head in regards to an agreement and in regards to a shared agreement so us as aboriginal people um, recognize our sovereignty and we are the sovereign owners of the land and so we have to enter into agreement with another another sovereign entity such as the state government and come to an agreement on that and so as I said, we don't know what it's going to look like just yet, but that could be water rights, that could be reparations, that could be language revival. To every single group, it'll mean a different thing, and that's 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 great for all of us because, you know, Victorian Aboriginal people and non-Aboriginal people will get to benefit and share and learn language and and experience our culture. And and I, I think I understand that it's both exciting, but it's also adds to the complexity of the task, doesn't it? Because it is so varied and so broad that actually trying to find um, some shared or common language or common ground is is part of the challenge, I guess. Um, and that that's what engages you every day by the sounds of it. it it's exciting area to pursue. It is very much so. And that, as you, as you were saying, uh, one of the biggest complexities is the community's relationship with the state government and, you know, there's been a lot of distrust since and a lot of things that government or government entities have said they will commit to and then it hasn't happened. And so this is a really big step for Victorian Aboriginal people because whilst the body now that I work for, which is the First People's Assembly of Victoria, whilst we are separated from government, people still associate it with that sort of trauma and that... Um, yeah, that trauma. Yes. Um, I wonder, I, this is more a personal response than a, a, a work or a mission almost that you're um, engaged in. And that is, 
I think you mentioned before that one of the things that you appreciated when you first came to Yarra was people who uh, celebrated their own heritage and you had that from home, but also family and also a, a faith perspective. And one area that interests me but challenges lots of people is the notion of Indigenous faith or Aboriginal faith and Aboriginal spirituality and how that can fit in or mesh in with, for example, a Christian perspective. Can you talk to that for a moment and kind of share maybe part of your experience? I definitely, definitely can. And as I was saying, culture and religion as well and faith is a very big journey for everyone. Like I even have faith tattooed on the back of my arm and that's because, you know, it's something that um, something that's really, really important to me and I think grounds me personally. Um, but in regards to Aboriginal culture, we have what we call Dreamtime stories and our own creator spirits and each sort of region has their own creator spirit. So for example, the Kula Nation, which Wurundjeri sits in, we have uh, Bunjil, the Wedgetail Eagle, and we also have Wa, which is the crow. And then for example, um, one of my other mobs, Yorta Yorta, up in Northern Victoria, we have Bayami, which is a serpent. And so all of these different um, creator spirits mean something different. Um, in regards to Christianity, Christianity or religion and where that sits within this, it's, it's really hard to say, to be honest, like I, I'm a believer of God and I'm a Christian and I still also believe in our creator spirits as well in regards to, there are ancestors, they protect us, they look over us. We come from the earth, we go back to the earth and that's, you know, what these creator spirits do is just keep us safe when we're on country and if we, you know, look after Mother Earth and they'll look after us as well. And I guess that's my personal meaning. Obviously, to every single person, it would mean a completely different thing. Um, but to me, I think it's just about safety and security. Mm. And it seems to me that part of your family upbringing involves stories and communication around spiritual things and ideas and it seems to me like I endeavour to be open to continuing that journey and continuing to um, be part of that bigger story that um, you know that that your mob is part of and and the stories that are told to you and then you want to keep telling those stories, which is a beautiful thing. I think that's that's marvellous. I wonder in terms of um, connection with your colleagues at the moment, are all of the people who you work closely with are they all Aboriginal heritage, or is it is it kind of, uh, uh, um, without being sounding disrespectful, are you a mixed bag? Like, are you kind of from all different backgrounds? Yeah. So I work with a lot of non-Aboriginal people, and I work with a lot of public servants, and that's one hundred and fifty million percent fine. And we can't expect every single person who works in an Aboriginal organisation to be Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander or Indigenous. Um, I think it's really, really good and it's a really beautiful shared learning experience to have people of other culture. Um, and we, you know, I'm really thankful and lucky to work in a workplace that's safe and welcoming to all people of all, um, you know, genders, religions, races and um, how they identify with themselves. And so 
No, I not not every single person that I work with is Aboriginal, and I think that if it were to be all Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people, that would bring a whole other bag of complexities, um, and a whole lot of conflicts, uh, whether that be conflicts of interests or or things like that. But I'm I'm thankful that we have that other perspective as well at times. Yeah, for sure, and and you're quite right. I think actually there's a richness in diversity and and diverse backgrounds and ideas and perspectives and and school is a lot like that too. And and Yarra increasingly so is uh, a melting pot of ideas and thoughts and perspectives and stories and journeys. And I wonder whether I can take you back into your school environment and school memory. And if I offer the phrase or the term Lavavi Oculus. Does that resonate? Does that ring a bell? Can you recall what it means? Um, I think it's we lift up our eyes or we lift up our eyes to the hills because I just remember we overlook the hills. <laughs> yeah. It's a yeah. Co- combination of those will do. Lavavi Oculus, to lift up your eyes. And if I offer that phrase to you now, whether you recall what it meant when you were a student or maybe what it means to you now, what, what, what do you, why do you think that that's our school motto? So when I was a student, it was because just the generic sort of, we lift up our eyes because we're overlooking the Yarra Valley. Um, But obviously there was a deeper meaning that it encompassed. Um, However, I sort of see that more now and it's just we lift up our eyes. And to me, that sort of means seeing what's beyond the horizon, not just what's directly in front of us, forward thinking, but also lifting our eyes up. And to me, mainly thinking about what's outside of the box, not just lifting up and seeing what you have at face value but a deeper understanding and I think that also that's what it carried with me through school as well Lavavi Oculus when I was in school it just basically meant lift up our eyes keep going straight forward ahead and that's how I went about my schooling Mm. do you recall what you wanted to do or what you thought you'd be doing when you were at Yarra, when you were traipsing around the corridors in 2013, 2014, and how does that sit with where you are and what you are doing? Like, what was on the horizon then, and does it look anything like where you are now? So I am a big dreamer. Um, When I was in high school, and I could have achieved these dreams if I really set my mind to it, but I'm thankful that I chose a different path. But I wanted to be a director or a producer of film. And so, you know, I wanted to go to New York Film Academy and I wanted to study film and that's what I was going to do. And then I was like, hang on, I need to also put bread on the table. So what am I going to do about this? And so um, my passion still lies in film and I still really, really love it. Um, But that's where I saw myself then. Um, When I finished school, I went into public relations and that's what I studied and I absolutely loved it and loved the marketing side of it and loved the what makes people do what they do and responses in regards to that in uh, in the public relations sector. And so from there I learned that I loved projects, project management, project work. It was where I find my passion. Yeah, wow. And now if you look to the horizon... What's next? You know, if everything goes really well for the I don't know five, ten years, are you still are you still in Australia? Are you still in the work that you're doing? Are you still living at home? Where, where what are you doing in the next five to ten years? Well, definitely won't be at home. I'm trying my hardest to save my pennies to buy a house. 
Um, but I look, happiness is the ultimate goal, and I think it should be for a lot of people. But for me, it definitely is. Um, career wise, I'm an incredibly career driven woman. When I studied public relations, I only did an advanced diploma. I didn't do a full uni degree, and I'm so thankful that I didn't. Um, because it gave me the pathways and the journeys and the connections to end up exactly where I would have been if I did a degree. And so I worked my way up since high school, since I finished. And so ultimately where I see myself, I would love to be, it's really, really hard, but I would either like to be a senior public servant in regards to projects and executive directorship and things like that, or potentially going down the consultancy path as well. Mm, that's exciting. And and part of it, and clearly we're benefiting from it now, is your ability to put some words together and share story and share your own ideas and perspectives. And, and so public speaking is something that you're clearly developing and, and getting better and better at. Was public speaking something that you did when you're at school, is that an experience that you recall with with fear or with joy? I find a thrill in public speaking. So I know that I, when I was in school, I was pumped about it. But that being said, I think also when you're in that age and you're just you know, developing into who you really are. Um, you know, I was a really sort of self-conscious teenager and so I also came with a lot of fear as well. But now I know that that fear was super-duper unnecessary. Um, however, I didn't public speak as much as I probably would have liked. I just spoke when we did orals in English and and things like that. Yeah, sure. In your day-to-day life now, is there a an app or a tool or a habit that is really important to you that, you know, it's a, it's a regular, it's, and, and something that you might even recommend? I think, yeah. So something that I would recommend is definitely having a work-life balance. That is something that is a must. And that even resonates back to school. Having a school life balance is super, super important Um, And I think that'll help you excel in all sort of aspects of career and home life if you do that for what works best for you. But in regards to app, there's nothing, there's nothing that I, I don't know, I'm a stubborn type of person. Um, So I'll, I'll, I'll go and do what I need to do and no one can tell me how to do it, unfortunately. Uh So what does, what does success mean to you? What does that look like? So success ultimately just means happiness. And I know that may be really cliche, but honestly, that's all it is. Like I can say a million times over, I want to earn this amount of money and I want to earn that amount of money. And I know that I will. If I want to earn X amount of money, I will do so. But that's ultimately not what's going to bring me happiness. It will bring me a sense of security, which will bring me happiness. But um, I think it also comes from and stems from mental health and mental wealth. Mm, absolutely. Tiana, what are you doing in your life now to create balance? Because I love the role that you've got. I love the work that you've got. I love the mission behind that. But maybe what I love even more is that idea that you are striving for balance. Now, whether it's actually balanced and, you know, it's even on both sides, but at least there's a sense of it can't be all just work and it can't be all just play. But when it for you, when it's not work, what's happening for you? What are you doing? How, how are you looking after yourself? 
So I've just moved back in with my mother and my younger brother and sister. And that is comes with its own challenges, but it also really grounds me. I was recently living in Reservoir and Thomastown in the north side, and it's great and it's awesome. But I just needed to be back home. I think for me, I'm a big nature girl, um, and as much as I don't like bugs, and I'm not the best at camping, just being one, um, as I was talking about with Mother Nature and just taking my shoes off and walking that path that our ancestors walked, but, you know, like that our children will walk. So I think for me, just being out in nature um, is really, really important, and thank goodness we're right near the Mount Dandenong Ranges and things like that. Um, but I'm also a water baby, so just going and sitting by the beach um, I tend to deactivate my socials a lot because they distract me mentally and they just, you know, as everyone will know, there's a lot of negativity on there as well. So just getting rid of that, but also knowing when to just stop and knowing when to sort of calm down. And that's what I have been doing and developing is just learning to shut down and say, it's okay, it's enough, done, relax. Mm. That's their wise words because um, our society and lots of parts of our society are, are pushing us for more and more and driving harder and harder, but actually that's creating a, a level of tension and stress and maybe disappointment. And so the idea of being able to switch off, is, is uh, that's a real skill or maybe even a craft that we need to develop. And, and keep growing in ourselves. So keep up with that. It's it's uh, it's a, a good ambition, I think. I wonder whether I might um, launch into a, a little section of this conversation that it's almost quick fire. So what I'm going to do is throw some questions at you and, and see some of them will cause you to go back and think. Others will be, you know, that be right on the top of your of the top of your head. So quick fire round. We're speaking with Tiana. Cora from the class of 2014. Tiana, what house were you in when you were at Yarra? Arnott. Arnott. Now, were Arnott any good back in your day? Yes, Arnott. Look, Arnott and Annals were really competitive. Um, I'm pretty sure we came out on top a few years, but it was it was a close call. I'm fascinated by your interest in film, and I wonder, is there a film that you would recommend, whether it be an Indigenous perspective or just a film, a good feel-good or a story that you loved? What's a great film that we might go out and watch? Oh, okay. Look, I have a whole list of films on my phone and I'm trying not to reach for it. Um, But, look, I'll recommend one that's close to home. It's called The Women of the Sun and I highly recommend it. Um, It's an Aboriginal film, um made by my auntie actually my my nan's sister and i highly recommend checking that one out good one thank you that's a a strong recommendation i appreciate that um if you had the choice would it be house swimming or house aths athletics oh but didn't you say you're a water baby i definitely am but i was also a self-conscious baby back in the day so didn't get to uh (laughs) swim as much as i liked um no i was a shot putter all the way Uh uh-huh very good. And and would your name be on a uh, a board anywhere or whether it be there because you put it or shot the put furthest or maybe did you didn't, surely you didn't inscribe your name on the back of a locker anywhere, did Oh, you? no, I wasn't that rebellious, Rev. Um, I was actually looking through, I can't remember what the book's called, but it was like the end of you book and it has everyone's photos and there's a photo of me short putting in there and I know I have all the little ribbons from um, Ath's Day, but no, I didn't make it anywhere far. 
Uh, Tiana, what was your first car? Okay, my first car was a 1996 BMW and it was called Jesse McCartney. Ah, I see. Is there a story behind that? Um, Jesse McCartney was like my love back in the day. He's like a singer. Um, but Jesse, my car, and that's, yeah, just made it up. And it was beautiful, an uh, old blue, blue BMW, but it didn't get me too far. When you were at school, what would we likely find in your lunchbox? <laughs> I actually was trying to think about this question. Look, I'm going to say LCMs because LCMs were the best, but I used to go to the CAF a lot and the CAF pizzas and the CAF chicken schnitzel burgers were like absolutely out of this world and I crave them to this day. Very good. You're, you've spoken a little bit about the idea of film and, and therefore performance and maybe storytelling. Were you one to get up on stage in a musical or were you more likely to be in the audience watching? Was there a particular performance that you remember, whether you were on stage or maybe as a as a, an audience member that, that really resonated with you? Um, the production that I remember the most was Grease, and obviously I wasn't a lead or anything like that, but that was just the most beautiful and fun experience from the drama camp to the performances to the hustle and bustle backstage. But I was involved in, in every musical I could, whether it's on stage or behind the scenes. Fantastic. Do you do you play music or was it you just enjoyed being part of it with everybody else? I tried everything. I played flute and I played piano at school, but I definitely wasn't that um, that good, no. Is there a, a place, and I'm actually going to refine this to Australia, is there a place in Australia when we are able to travel again in our country, where is a place that you... Uh, would recommend that we go and explore? And and perhaps what should we look for if we go there? Okay, there are two places that I that just come to mind straight away, and they're actually both in Victoria. Um, the first place is Warrnambool. I absolutely love Warrnambool so much. I think it's the most beautiful, relaxing getaway, the hot springs, the water, the clarity. It's amazing. And the second place is actually... Um, just near Sky High in Mount Dandenong, there's a little path that you can walk down and when you go at night time and you look up your eyes to the hills, Lavavi Oculus, um, you just see the whole entire city all the way from basically like Altona Point Cook, all the east, all the city, and it's the most beautiful, beautiful thing. Mm, fantastic. And, you know, as I say, eventually we'll be able to go and explore those places again and we certainly look forward to that. Um, I wonder whether you can tell us a little bit about a particularly memorable moment at Yarra. Now, it might be getting a result. It might be a piece of work that you submitted that you really worked hard at, that you're proud of. Maybe it was a, a time when you scored the winning goal or you shot the winning basket or you played played that musical note just better than you ever had before and it was a really proud moment. So I, as much as I'm not an academic, I am proud of everything that I have achieved at Yarra, whether it's a 30% on a math test, because as many teachers can attest to, I'm not a mathematician. Um, but there's two things that really stand out for me. Again, I, sorry, I can never nail it down to just one. Um, the first one is just being in philosophy class with Mr. Manning. That class, every single lesson, I remember everything about it. I, it just opened my eyes to a world that I never had thought. So there's no particular moment 
I remember arguments that we've had, as in the the students and debates, but um, that class, but also Deb. Deb was and still is to this day one of my best memories of my whole entire life. So when you say Deb, doing the Deb. Debutante ball, yes, being involved in that. It was just from the dance rehearsals to the limo to everything, everything. It just makes me so excited. It was, it's beautiful. Yeah, that's great. Let me just take you back to philosophy and Mr Manning for a moment. What is your interpretation or your understanding of how he lost his finger? Oh, I've heard so many stories and I don't know. I don't know. Like, oh, I, I honestly, I can't remember one particular story, but it makes me laugh. I, that's something that I completely forgot about in my memory and for you to bring that up, that's actually so funny. But no, I can't, I can't even think. Probably a shark attack or something really dramatic. Like, that's what I'd say. To be fair, I think I've heard a number of different versions and each time I feel more and more convinced that that must be the right one. And uh, but, but who actually knows? Who knows? Uh, Tiana, I wonder whether as we uh, head towards wrapping it up, and I really appreciate your, the generosity of your, your time, um, who or what inspired you while you were at Yarra? There's three or four people that really, really inspired me. I was inspired by myself to finish and get out of there, not <laughs> in a disrespectful way. I loved Yarra and I hopefully one day can send my kids to Yarra and that's in all honesty, but I just wasn't an academic. <laughs> um, but there's a few teachers that inspired me. Mrs. Etheridge and Mr. Swan inspired me because they had a real passion for their craft and their art and it was really amazing to see how dedicated they were. But then Mr. Schumann and Mr. Guzman, or I believe Mrs. Duncan now maybe, um, but Mr. Guzman and Mr. Schumann inspired me because they taught me interactive digital media. So they taught me subjects that would help me get me further in my career. Fantastic, fantastic. And, and actually my last question is requiring you or asking you to answer the question and then answer the question, and that is... What question do you really wish I had asked you? Ooh. Okay, the question I wish you had asked is I was listening to a few of the other po- uh, the other podcasts and you said what's a phrase or something that really helped you or stood out? And I had them and I planned them in my head. <laughs> so I'll answer those. <laughs> um there's two things again, can never just have one. Um the first one was actually that I got in school from Miss Vanderzil, who was the counselor. And we were talking about careers and things like that because I think that was before Miss Chia Dooley if she's still there came along and I was struggling and I was anxious and I said I don't know what I want to do all these people are going off to uni I'm not smart I don't get it and I don't know what I want to do and she said maybe that's because the career or the job that you want doesn't exist yet you can make up your own and I thought oh my gosh and that's honestly those words have stuck with me and they've inspired me in every single aspect of my job they have. So that's the first. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And the second one is from my old manager of my old job um, when I worked in alcohol and drug and mental health and did projects in that aspect. And he, this I think can resonate to people at Yarra a lot, but also resonate with anybody. I was again, me being a stress head, stressed and anxious about work. And I was sick and I was like, I need to go home, but I need to get this stuff done. He's like, Tiana, are you going to die? No. Is anybody going to die? No. Then it can wait. The world is not going to end. And I said, oh, it's so simple, but it's so true. 
Wow, that they're very powerful. You, you're quite right, and uh, by the sounds of it, two very wise statements that have you've clung on to and have served you well over the journey. Yes. Tiana Cora from the class of 2014, thank you for sharing a little of your journey and uh, your experiences. It wasn't so bad after all, was it? No, it was, it was. I'm very, very grateful, very grateful for everything that Yara had to offer me. Yeah. Um, a final parting word of advice or perspective or thought, something that, you, you know, you, maybe you wish you had been aware of while you were still at school or maybe even now as a, as a day-to-day activity or endeavour, something that you think uh, is the opportunity to share with everybody? When I was at school, I wish someone had told me it's not the end of the world if you get a bad ATAR or obviously, I don't even know how to say this. Obviously, I know that people need to strive, but what I wish someone had told me that it's not the end of the world. If you get a bad ATAR, if you get a bad score, it's okay. There's better things to come and that every single opportunity that you miss or don't get leads you to something bigger and better. I'm a big believer in that too. I, uh, I I like your message there and that is whatever happens today, we can wake up again tomorrow and we can try again and we can find new paths and, and maybe even paths that nobody even knew were there. We can etch our own way and uh, find our own journey. So congratulations on the way that you appears to have responded to some of the journey and then you've just kept on creating new opportunities for yourself and uh, doing such critical work and work that you love, which is uh, which is a, a great thing. Congratulations. Thanks so much for having me, Rev. Tiana, thanks for your time. Thanks for your storytelling. Thanks for sharing with us. And we thank you and we salute you and thank you for being uh, both an inspiration to Yarra, but also clearly inspired by Yarra. We thank you. Thank you so much. And there you have it. What a delightful young woman who is endeavouring to make a difference, to educate, to teach, to work towards treaty, uh, reconciliation, uh, shared understanding of culture and need and responsibility. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tiana Cora from the class of 2014. I think she's involved in critical work and obviously has passion for it and in the midst of it, endeavouring to look after herself as well. There's wisdom, even though she's still got so much of life to live. If you enjoyed this, we would love you to share it. Share this conversation or any other in our 50-plus episodes of the Inspired by Yarra podcast. We'd love you to share it with others, whether that be people who are connected to the Yarra Valley Grammar community, whether they be yogs themselves, Yarra old grammarians, or perhaps their current parents, current students. I think that there's something to be gained, something valuable in the stories as we share with yogs as they unpack a little of their journey through Yarra Valley Grammar and then where the adventure and the inspiration has taken them too. And I hope you'll join us again next episode when I get to sit down with another Yog, another Yarra old grammarian and explore with them how they too have been inspired by Yarra. My name is Paul Joy and on behalf of everyone here at Yarra and particularly the team of people who put these episodes together, I want to say thank you. Thanks for tuning in. And today I want to wish you 
a day of inspiration where you head out there into the world around you and make a difference today.